Good day, everybody. I was going to say good evening, but I'm not quite sure what time it'll be by the time you listen to this podcast. My name is Coley Rudd. I am here with my dog, Harper the Big Girl. Got a lot to bring to you today. It's been a few weeks, and for that, I apologize. I do have a a day job outside of this. Uh, This isn't what I do full-time, unfortunately. Just doesn't quite make enough to pay the bills just yet. Maybe someday it will, but uh, that's why there was no episode last week, but that only means double the fun today. Here's the rundown for you. As always, I'll kick off with the underdog, hungry dog of the week. Woof, woof, woof. Fun one this week, I think it is at least. Um, then I'll talk about the the Natty, so the national championship, Georgia TCU. Feels like at this point that game was eons ago, but one of the boys has yet to feature its takes on how that game went. So I'll give you my insight on it if you care. Uh, then I'll uh, kind of break off into NFL breaking news and some coaching updates. I'll recap... Uh, the NFL playoffs, super wild card, re- super wild card weekend recap. That is a tongue twister. Say that ten times fast. Um, and then I'll actually go into a unique uh, divisional round preview. Have a week approach, uh, a unique, not a week, a unique approach to it. Sad girl hours uh, will will wrap us up. And um, yeah, lots to talk about. It's been a crazy two weeks in football, concluded the season, headed into the playoffs, probably the best Super Wild Card weekend ever, except I feel like I say that every Super Super Wild Card weekend, it really doesn't disappoint. The NFL, the playoffs are always the the teams that that it should be. The matchups really never prevail, even when it looks like it's going to be one-sided. It's not. So... um, Yeah. Uh, On this day in sports, in 1996, baseball owners unanimously approve interleague play. Also on this day in sports, in 2015, was the NFC Championship game at CenturyLink Field in Seattle. Seattle Seahawks beat the Green Bay Packers 28-22 to in overtime. I believe this was the game that I don't even remember exactly what Richard Sherman said, but he gave that interview and just like completely destroyed that reporter and kind of became rather infamous for that afterwards. So that's fun. And then also on this day, here's a unique one, a sport I don't really talk about enough on one of the boys, but in 2018, Brazilian surfer Maya Gabira rides the largest ever wave by a female surfer at 20.72 meters, which is 68 feet. I'm not even going to try to announce this city, but it was in Portugal. So that's pretty cool. Surfing's debut and one of the boys, mark your calendars, January 18th. Surfing made its debut and one of the boys. Again, I am Coley Rudd here with Harper, the big girl. This is episode eight of one of the boys. I will see you on the flip side of my intro song. Boom. Broncos country. Let's ride.
All right, goodness, that that sounded worse than normal today, didn't it? Uh, Just a little disclaimer, I am using a new software today to record this. Not that it makes a difference, hopefully, to anybody listening, um, other than the intro song. But, uh, yeah, I'm using my Mac this time um, and GarageBand, so it might sound a little bit different, maybe a little bit clearer. I know the intro song didn't, but who really gives a shit anyway? Um, All right, here we go. Underdog, Hungry Dog of the Week. Horrible, horrible week for the dog. I was going through games and looking at it, and I was it was just super disappointing. Uh, but let, let, let's kick it off. Um, NBA, let's see. The NBA, there was 50 games played last week um, between Monday, January 9th, through Sunday, January 15th, a total of 50 games. There was only 14 dog wins, 20% dog rate. Um, in the A, ba- la- in the A, what the hell? In the NBA last week, uh, some big ones. There was uh, the Suns upset the Golden State Warriors at Golden State um, last Tuesday. Golden State was twelve point favorites. Suns have been kind of in some doo doo uh, ever since uh, Devin Booker went down. Um, but the the Suns were victorious there. Golden State is is not great this year. If you haven't been following basketball, they did win the title last year. Haven't been great this year, uh, specifically on the road. This was a home game, but um, on the road they've been dog shit. Um, and in future episodes, once football's over, I'll I'll offer a little bit more insight on basketball. But that's the extent of what you're getting today. Uh, the Magic was victorious over the Trailblazers on Tuesday as well. Another highlight of the NBA dogs. Uh, Trailblazers were eight and a half point favorites, and they ended up losing by three. The Magic are not very good this year. They're always a dog, so anytime they win, it's it's pretty much a dog win, it seems like. Um, some other ones, the Oklahoma City Thunder upset my team, unfortunately. The 76ers, not by a little, but by a lot. It was in Philly. Sixers were 10-point favorites. OKC came out on top, uh, 133 to 114, so... I, I, I don't know what was going on there. Anyway, horrible week for the dog in the NBA. Twenty-eight percent success rate. Uh, let's just let's just bury that one under the carpet and and move on. Not much else to see here, folks. Uh, hockey. So hockey was a little bit better for the dog. Not much, but a little. Um, there was again fifty games played. Twenty-one of those games were won by the dog. Um, some highlights again here, the, the Flyers, okay, you know, my basketball team was on that on the NBA list for a bad reason, and now my hockey team's on the list for a good reason. Flyers were victorious last Monday the 9th over the Buffalo Sabres by a sc- final score of 4 to nothing, and that was in Buffalo, that was a big win for the Flyers. Um, and then uh, last Sunday, so this past Sunday, the 15th, the Canadians were victorious over the Rangers um, in New York. Again, just two of the highlight wins. Those were the biggest dogs. The odds were um, very high in their opponent's you know, very good, I should say, in their opponent's favor. And then the dog came out on top. So I just wanted to highlight those. 42% success rate for the dog in the NHL. NFL didn't do us any favors either. One third of the uh, 
there's Harper giving her take. She she's mad. She's a mad dog. She's a mad dog because uh, there's only two upset wins in the in Super Wild Card weekend. So she, she's barking because she's pissed the dog didn't do better. Um, but the Jacksonville Jaguars were victorious over the Chargers. They were actually two point uh, underdogs at home. Great game, by the way. Great, great, great game. Um, and then the Giants um, beat the Minnesota Vikings, which everyone and their mother saw coming because the Vikings are the biggest frauds ever. If you haven't listened to any content outlining the Vikings season, you might not know this, but the Vikings are actually the first team with uh, 13 wins and a negative point differential. So basically meaning they had 13 wins, but their opponents outscored them. Um, That's traditionally a sign of a a team that's lucky or just ending up on on the right side of of a coin toss or one play or you know, things like that. Um, and that's basically what the Viking season was, was just a bunch of those stacked together, um, ended up on the right side of it more often than not. But when it mattered the most, they did not. Their defense is booty cheeks, dog doo-doo, you name it. Defense isn't good. Uh, and you need you need a good defense to win the NFL. So Giants come out on top there. Harper's happy pissed off i'm not really sure she's she's just barking because the dog sucked this past week um gonna start to include uh uh, college hoops into the underdog as well just because we're about midway through january right so this is kind of the point in the college basketball season where it really starts to turn uh turn to a point where it's it's going to get really good. A lot of these games are going to start to matter more. And, of course, as we get closer and closer to March, every game just matters that much more. So here's where we're at with basketball. Horrible, horrible week for the dog in uh, college basketball. And also just a disclaimer, there are – if you look online, there is so much Division One college basketball that's played every week. Um, so – the dog stats will only be for games that are in the top 25. Um, that's just the best benchmark to go by to sort out which games I want to include, which games I won't. So if it's a top 25 ranked team, they'll be included in this. Otherwise, they will not. Um, but there were, let's see, four. Oh, my God, this is horrible. This is horrible. This is going to this is gonna not do well for the dog statistic. Um but I'm going to do it anyway because, like I said, we're about to hit the ground running with college hoops. Once um, football's over, this is really the next sport we're going to dive into because there's a lull. Once fo- once the Super Bowl's over, it's like nothing, nothing, nothing for like six weeks, it feels like, and then it's March Madness. And then once March Madness is over, it's NBA playoffs. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Bottom line is, is I'm including college basketball because that's – going to be where this podcast goes once football is over. Um, And unfortunately, the end of football is upon us. Anyway, college hoops, 41 games played by top 25 teams last week. Of those 41 games, the dog only won eight times. Mm -mm. 19.5% success rate. For the dog, horrible, horrible, horrible. This has probably been the worst week for the dog since I started this podcast. Whatever, it happens. Um, total in all those sports I just mentioned, there was 147 games played. The dog won 45 of them. 
meaning they won 30.6% of their games. Silent Wolf, Quiet Wolf, because that's not that exciting. It's been, you know, 5 or 6% higher, even 7% higher in some cases week to week. This is, uh, I don't have every stat in front of me, but this seems to be the lowest, lowest that it's been. But, as always, there can only be one underdog, hungry dog of the week. It's actually about this time each year we bring out those underdog, hungry dog masks because it's football playoffs. And when I don't eat breakfast, I'm fucking pissed off too. Um, the underdog, hungry dog of the week is the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I believe this is the second time that the Jaguars have been crowned the one of the boys' underdog, hungry dog of the week. Um Trevor Lawrence threw four interceptions in the first half. Um, this game looked like it was a a nightmare for Duval and the Jacksonville Jaguars fans after the first quarter, really, because three of those four interceptions came in the first quarter, and that's uh, it's rare to see that in college football, period. Or not college football. This is the NFL, damn it. It's rare to see that in the NFL, even more rare to see it in in the playoffs. So it really, really in the beginning was like, what the fuck? You know, I debated so many times going to bed because I was like, I thought it was just going to be a recap of what we saw in the national championship where Georgia put us all to bed, you know, at halftime because they were winning by so much. Uh, but then, but then this, this game took a turn. And if you didn't watch or if you live under a rock or if you don't know what happened, Here's the bottom line. Here's the shortest version of what happened in this game. The uh, the Chargers went up 27-0 and blew a lead in the second half. Jags come back and win 31-30. Trevor Lawrence throws four interceptions in the first half is essentially perfect in the second. It was a holy fucking shit kind of game where I was literally falling asleep at halftime and then I couldn't fall asleep by the time it was over because it was so exciting. Um, there was so much, there was so much to talk about in this game on both sides. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll start with the Jaguars. Doug Peterson is a weirdo. Okay. Doug Peterson starts off the game in the first quarter. It's fourth and seven. I believe they're just over the 50-yard line in the Chargers territory. He goes for it on fourth and seven. That's when Trevor Lawrence threw his second interception on that play. I replayed that so many times just to be like, did, did I actually see that the down and distance was what it was? It was fourth and seven in the first quarter. I believe they were down seven, ten nothing at that time, and he wanted to go for it. Okay, okay. I don't love it. I don't love it. Um, so Doug does that, um, that was weird. Uh, Doug Peterson may also be the gutsiest, uh, decision maker, play caller of all time. So if you watched highlights, uh, he goes for two point conversion, um, after Jacksonville scores what was its final touchdown of the game. Um, the significance behind this is because this put the Jaguars in a position where if they kicked a field goal, 
they could now win. But if they miss it, they would need a touchdown to go ahead, right? So I was like, I was like, why the fuck are they doing this? I was literally sitting there, hands on my head. Why the fuck are they doing this? Why the fuck are they doing this? Why the fuck are they doing this? Because I thought it, I, I, I thought it was absolutely absurd. Okay, um, but that was him just like throwing it all out there. Like, hey, we're not here, we're not here to 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 fuck around. Like, we're here to win. That this is that was him showing his cards. Like, we we are putting everything we have in to win this game. Obviously, you do that in the playoffs, but that was like a moment where he was just like pumping his ch- puff, like puffing his chest, fist hitting it. Like, we are here to win this game. It was crazy. Um, it was so it was so gutsy. I mean, really gutsy. I obviously love the call because it, he made it. It worked out, and that play was so silly. Like, if you watched it, Trevor Lawrence literally took the ball and then just stuck his arm out. Um the distance was only one yard that they needed to go because of, I believe it was a Joey Boza penalty, which Google that you'll find some fun bitching from him on the internet, but they only needed a yard to go. So literally Trevor Lawrence snaps the ball, sticks his arm out and you can't stop that. How can you stop a six, five guy from sticking his arm out? Uh, his wingspan is actually six and a half feet. Um, and you literally saw that on that goal line play. Like that was, that was the advantage there. Snaps the ball, sticks his arm out. You just see this skinny little white arm stick out of the pile, crosses the goal line. Boom. Jags down two. The other gutsy play that I love where it was like Doug Peterson, big balls moment was on that last drive. Um, it was they they found themselves in a situation where it was, it was fourth and one with about a minute and a half left. Um, they line up like they're going to run a quarterback sneak, or they've got three guys in the backfield, whatever. Uh, Trevor snaps it. Etn kind of comes around the edge, gets around everybody, and then takes it up the field like another ten fifteen yards. Like it was so gutsy. It was so good. You don't see coaches do that. Like you see coaches doing like the 92% play, which is the quarterback sneak because that works 92% of the time. Um, and this was just like, nah, fuck this. We're just going to, we're going to get you around the edge and run it upfield another 10, 15. Obviously it wasn't planned for that. They just were planning to get the first down, but it was, it was awesome. I mean, it was, you don't see calls like that in that situation. Doug Peterson, again, big balls moment. It was, it was awesome. Um, what else about the Jags? That was that was kind of it. The rest of what I'm about to say is more so about how terrible the Chargers are, and I don't want to steal the spotlight from the Jaguars because they had a great game, they fought, they came back, but I actually think this underdog, hungry dog game says more about the Chargers than it does about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Again, not to steal their thunder, great win, on to the next round. Who would have thought? Anyway, I want to kick off by talk, talking about the Chargers, by saying, you've got to be a sad, sad, sad man if you are a Sante Samuel Jr. right now who had three interceptions in one game. Three interceptions in one game, but you still lost. Okay? The Chargers, okay. They go up 27 nothing with roughly four minutes left in the first half, right? Brandon Staley, their defense, it looked like immediately went into reserve mode. Okay, weren't blitzing as much. We're kind of holding back in coverage, letting the guys have the space underneath. 
I don't know if he was already thinking like, hey, I'm up 27 nothing. Let's kind of pull back a little bit. You don't want anyone to get hurt. But that was it. Zero effort moving forward on either side of the ball from that point forward after they went up 27 nothing. I shouldn't say zero effort. There were some drives where the offense looked like they had it going. They had a missed kick towards the end, which really obviously came back to bite him in the ass. But what the hell? Complete reserve mode, okay? Um, so the Chargers go up 27 nothing. Okay, um, and I read something absolutely absurd on the internet. I'm going to get back to the Chargers in a second. This is this thing I read on the internet is relevant. I saw somewhere someone placed a bet. So, if you're not familiar with the stupid shit people do when they sports bet, uh, people will find a game where the odds of one team winning are astronomically good. Right? Like we're talking like minus a thousand. Okay. And what they'll do is they will place a extremely large amount of money on that game. Okay, so, for example, you have Alabama playing a smaller school like Marshall. Okay, the odds Alabama wins are minus 1,000. So what people will do to make an extra chunk of change, okay, is take $100,000, place that on Alabama, okay, $100,000, and then Alabama wins... And, uh, and like, we're talking money line here. So Alabama wins, so then they win another $11,000, right? Because they placed a stupid amount of money on that. Okay, people do this all the time. It's just, like, an easy way to make a chunk a change if you're that fucking psycho. I wouldn't do it. I could not fathom betting anything more than $1,000 on one game. I, I mean, I wouldn't even touch that. The most I've ever done is 100 Anyway, this guy put $1.4 million, $1.4 million on the Chargers when they were up 27 nothing at minus, this number, this is a huge number, at minus 12,500 odds, right? If the Chargers win, they would make another $11,000 on that $1.4 million that they bet. Okay. Well, you know the tale. The Jaguars come back. The Jaguars win. So that person lost $1.4 million. That is brutal. That is brutal. Ugh. I feel, I feel like ill. I felt physically ill like when I read that. But then on the flip side of things, I didn't read exactly numbers or any crazy stories, but there were people that won a lot of money on the Jags because they, at that point, put money down. I mean, even if you put, you know, 10 bucks down, you probably won like 100 and something back. You know? Jaguars won people some money. Chargers clearly lost people some other money. That was fucking insane. I just could I like couldn't believe it. I had to stare at that again. I had to stare at that for like 10 minutes and then Google it again to make sure like I actually read that right. But yep, that happened. Crazy, 1.4 mil. Sorry about it. Well, that's why I don't do shit like that. Please gamble responsibly. Anyway, let's get back to uh, what, what I'm really here to talk about. Okay? Brandon Staley is not it. He is not it. I woke up today and this man still has a job and he shouldn't. 
Okay, and I'm about to tell you why. The the LA Chargers, there are so many names on that team on both sides of the ball, offense, defense, that are phenomenal football players, right? Came out of big schools, high draft picks, have proven themselves in the NFL. You signed them, you extended them to a to to big big contracts. You're paying them millions of dollars, right? Because they're good. Um, the fact, first off, let's not, I'm not, before we even get into that game, right? The fact that you went 10 and seven with that talent, I know, you, you know, every team deals with injuries and, and the Chargers dealt with their injuries, you know, whatever, I get it. The fact that he went 10 and seven, one speaks for itself Two, then you earned a first round exit in, in the fashion that I just told you about blowing a 27 and nothing lead with the talent that is on your roster. This is literally the most unbelievable thing I've ever witnessed in my NFL lifetime. Okay? This is this is purely coaching. This is purely purely coaching. There are coaches out there with a pool of talent who if they had a pool of talent like the Chargers do would win would be like the 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 Patriots dynasty. That used to be like if Bill Belichick, if Kyle Shanahan, if Sean McVay, Doug Peterson had the roster that Brandon Staley does, I would I would believe that one, the Chargers would be better than the Chiefs. Not only that, the Chargers would be just like the Chiefs are where they're in the playoff Super Bowl conversation every single year. The Chargers aren't. The Chargers suck. They're terrible. I'm not even going to sit here and act like they're good because they're not, and it's not because of the names on the roster. It's because of the guys behind the scenes making making the calls. Okay? It is purely coaching. It is purely poor coaching. Look at teams like the New York Giants who have fucking Daniel Jones as their quarterback. Daniel Jones, no one else on their offense except, except Saquon Barkley, right? Did anyone see that Darius Slayton drop? On, what was it, Sunday afternoon? They don't have receivers. Kenny Galladay makes one good play a year. That don't count. But the Giants are playing in the divisional round next week. Why? Because Brian Dayball has made something from nothing. It doesn't... It doesn't take rocket science, it sounds like, to be successful in this league. Or maybe it does. I don't know. It doesn't... This, I mean, I know it's only a second year, but it was like last year they didn't even make the playoffs, and then this year you get a first-round exit, and every year we find ourselves scratching our heads like, what the fuck? Um, I'm, I'm about to rattle off about how bad I actually think this is, okay? This, to me, is worse than the Broncos this season, okay? This is worse than the Raiders' collapse. This is worse than the meltdown that went on in the Indianapolis Colts organization this year. Okay, at least those rosters, they have their clear weaknesses. It was identified what was bad. They made some changes and they're moving on. Okay, the Broncos knew they have a shitty defensive, uh, have a shitty uh, quarterback play caller. That just didn't work. The Raiders secondary is garbage. The Colts offensive line is was supposed to be great, but wasn't, and they have obvious quarterback issues. Okay, so they made changes. Coaches weren't working out. They made changes. What's the weakness with the Chargers coaching? 
And then you know what? As of today, I read this today. This happened today. Uh, I'm recording on the 17th. You'll hear this on the 18th. But as of today, Joe Lombardi, the offensive coordinator, and the quarterback coach Shane Day were, were fired. I, but I don't know if the offense was the problem. Again, I'm not in their I'm not in their locker room. I'm not in their in their meeting, so I don't know exactly the conversations that went on. But I Brandon Staley is supposed to be this defensive minded head coach. They have all these, I mean, outstanding players. Like here's who they have on their defense: Kyle Van Noy, Derwin James, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson. And then you have a head coach who has a defensive mind. What the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? I don't know. I personally don't know how any Chargers fans feel. I don't, I don't know any myself because there's like five of them that are out there. But I would be physically ill if I was one. I'd have to, my day job would have to put me on the physically unable to perform list because I would have some horrid illness if this was my team. I couldn't do it. And it's not just this year, it's every year. But this year and last year, we're, we're chalking all of them off to Brandon Staley because what a, what a disgrace. I don't want to discredit the Jags because the Jags obviously strung together in a phenomenal, one of the greatest playoff games we've ever seen, great playoff comebacks we've ever seen. So I don't want to discredit them. But I think this game said more about the Chargers being a failure, having a year of failure, um, more so than it said about the Jags, you know, grit and determination. Anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to pull away from the Jags because they are the underdog, hungry dog, very deserving. Woof, 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 woof. Uh, but the Chargers were terrible, terrible. But Jags, underdog, hungry dog of the week for episode eight, second time, first time we've ever had a. Same underdog, or a repeat underdog, Hungry Dog. They got it. I think I crowned them the underdog, Hungry Dog, when they beat the Cowboys in overtime on the pick six. That one was mostly, though, because it made my heart happy. Big matchup with the Chiefs next week. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, One more thing to point out about this game. Trevor Lawrence is one of us. I don't know if anyone saw, uh, but he went to a Waffle House like late at night, I think it was like one, two in the morning after a ball and win. Like that's what Americans do. They conclude a great night at Waffle House. Um, so mu- much respect. I wonder what he got. He's, he's probably like one of those skinny white boys that can just eat like 40 omelets and not blink. I kind of get that vibe from him. But enough about that. Great underdog win. Love to see it. Jags Chiefs this weekend, and we're moving right along. Two. I'm actually, I might try and insert some real sound effects because I can do that on GarageBand, so maybe I'll replace those later. Anyway, um, national championship, the Natty recap. I don't know what to say. Georgia made... America look really dumb. Okay. For a week and some change, I feel like everyone sat here and talked about how TCU was good. TCU was going to be in this game. TCU was going to cover the spread. 
And like, we all couldn't have been more wrong. I think there was like 74% of the betting money was on TCU. How stupid, how stupid are we? I, I mean, again, thankfully I live in a state where I can't bet. So I didn't bet, but I would have bet. I would have bet TCU. So I'm just as stupid as everyone that lost their money. Um, yeah, they're not, they weren't good. I mean, Georgia, Georgia, again, they did something we may never see again. Stetson Bennett definitely did something I almost guarantee we will not see again. Um, I ranted all week on my last episode or all, you know, whatever, however long that episode was about how the college football playoff is back. And then I feel like, I feel like, I don't know if TCU ruined it for being so bad or if Georgia ruined it for being so good. I think it was a little bit of a combination because TCU was bad. They didn't execute on anything. There wasn't a single player out there that I was like, okay, you know, they played okay. They had that one touchdown that Georgia just completely blew the coverage. God, I was so high on them, you know, two weeks ago, and now now this happened. And now I'm like, I know they made it to the national title game, and that's a big deal. My team, Penn State, has never even, like, licked the college football playoff. I shouldn't say that. They were fifth just outside. Whatever. They haven't they haven't seen it. I mean, they've never played in college football playoff games. So getting to the national championship game is a is a big deal. I get that. But it wasn't I felt I felt like they were way worse than I actually thought after that game. I don't know if the moment was too big. Like nobody looked prepared. The defensive coordinator, I think they interviewed him somewhere around halftime, and they said there was eight defensive miscues. One, why the hell are you admitting that on live television? Two, what the fuck? It's the national championship game. What? How? I don't get it. I don't get it. The only benefit to this game was... uh was that I was actually able to turn it off at halftime and, and watch an episode of White Lotus, which, by the way, weirdest fucking show ever. Weirdest show ever. Great show, weird show. If you got HBO Max, turn it on. They're not a sponsor. I'm just just something to watch if you want. But but other than being able to turn it off at halftime, that was literally the only thing that was good about this game. That's literally it. And yes, I just admitted on my sports podcast that I shut off a football game, not just any football game, a national championship game. It was so bad. It was so bad. It w- I was so annoyed. It wasn't fun to watch. At halftime, it was 38-7. to 7. I'm like, come on. TCU is not going to come back on Georgia, and they didn't even score another point. They, Georgia brings in their, their freshman reserves, backups, basically, and still scores two more touchdowns. There's so many te- there are so many other teams out there that I think actually would have put up a bigger fight, okay? Um, the, there, there's five teams right off the top of my head that I know would have put up a better fight than TCU did, okay? Tennessee, Alabama, obviously Ohio State, Penn State, LSU, all of those teams would have put up way better fights in this national championship game than TCU. Fucking Missouri, like, was ahead of Georgia at some point during that game. Wasn't a natty, but still. When they played head-to-head, 
however many weeks ago that was, they put up a better fight than TCU did in the national championship game. I'm sick. I'm sick over it. It's bad for the sport. Bad for the sport. TCU looked horrible. Horrible on both sides of the ball. Georgia literally played a perfect game. I think there was maybe one drive that they had without any points. And Ohio State, I don't I mean I fucking hate Ohio, but they've got to be sick. That that semifinal game was theirs to win. They should have won that and they didn't. And if they did, I, I know for sure they would have sh- kicked shit shit the kick kick the shit out of TCU. I feel stupid. My dad, my dad had called me actually before the game and said he was taking Georgia. And I was like, are you nuts? Have you not watched TCU? TCU is good. TCU, not good. TCU proved they're not good. I mean, again, maybe they're a little bit good because they've made it this far, but for the sake of my bitterness, I'm going to say they're not good. Not good. Anyway, let's flip the script a little bit on this game because I just have such a negative taste in my mouth over it that there are some fun things to, to point out from it, some fun stats. There was 52 plays that were ran offensively by TCU, 63 plays ran by Georgia, uh, which seems weird because the score was so lopsided, but Georgia's offense only ran 11 more plays than TCU, but I think that's just shining evidence as to how many explosive plays Georgia had. Five of seven of Georgia's touchdown drives were five plays or less. Five plays, score. Five plays, score. Less than that in some cases. Crazy. Georgia collectively had 254 rushing yards, but that was between eight different players. Wild. TCU had three turnovers. Georgia had zero. Wouldn't have mattered. TCU could have not turned the ball over. Georgia still would have curb stomped them. I don't I don't know what else to say statistically about this game. On if you look at the stats on paper, drive by drive on paper, Georgia literally had the perfect game and TCU was was just the exact opposite. Teams don't win college football national championships back to back. Since uh going all the way back to 1936, only six other schools have won back to back natties. Um and there was some some that I didn't include here because they would, it was, just Google it if you really want to know. Um, but there was Minnesota in 1940 to 1941, Army and Army 44 to 45. You had Notre Dame won 1946 to 1947, Oklahoma 1955 to 1956, Nebraska 1994 to 1995, and then Alabama 2011 to 2012. They are the first team since the college football playoffs establishment, since it began, um, to win back-to-back national titles. Hasn't happened in the playoff era until today. Well, 10 days ago, however long ago it was. People are saying the, the narrative is that Georgia is the new Alabama and Kirby Smart is the new Nick Saban. That's a bold statement. That is a bold statement. I, I do think they dominate college football. I think they're going to be just as good, if not better, next year. But, yes, they are the the best team, obviously the best team this year, looking like the best team next year. Alabama's dominance was for, like, two decades. Let's not forget that. 
that was, I mean, and they're still, they're still dominant. Like, yes, Georgia beat them last year. Georgia's obviously not beating them. They didn't play head to head this year, but in the ranking standings and goal, Georgia was, was better. I don't, I don't know if I'd quite declare them this, the new Alabama. I think they have to, Kirby Smart has to show that he's got to have some longevity in this dominance for me to, to get on that, on that bandwagon. I also just want to talk about before I'm done talking about this awful game because it, it was a really good college football season and it just ended. I don't want to say it ended horribly. Congratulations, Georgia. I don't feel here when we're there about Georgia. I love the Stetson Bennett story. Um, the game sucked, but I do want to talk about Stetson Bennett because he like he embodies this this podcast because he literally is the underdog hungry dog i actually think uh at the end of the year right so it's january we're talking next december i'm going to have an underdog hungry dog of the year and name it after him so it'll be the stets the stetson bennett underdog hungry dog of the year award presented by one of the boys I think it has a nice ring to it. The Stetson Bennett underdog, hungry dog of the year. Yeah. Yeah. ESPN needs to make a 30 for 30 or, or some shit on this man. This is absolutely crazy. Um, people who aren't familiar. Stetson Bennett was a walk-on at Georgia, right? Zero. There was no Power 5 programs that offered him a scholarship. Walks on at Georgia. I don't think he plays a lick of football. Uh, so then he found he, he went to a junior college for a year to get some playing time. Returned to Georgia in 2019. 2019. He was buried deep, deep, deep on the depth chart. I mean, they basically looked at him and were like, you have no chance of, of starting, being a starting quarterback. Stetson Bennett probably loves COVID. <laughs> He probably loves COVID and not for any political or weird reasons. But COVID came around and Jamie Newman, who was the starting quarterback at the time, opted out because of COVID, as many players did, which was bullshit. Micah Parsons did the same. Uh, But anyway, that opened the door for Stetson to play and he never looked back. Now here I am talking about him being a two-time national champion He'll go to the NFL. I mean, he'll play at the next level, but this will always be his legacy. He was it was it's almost like this was meant to be wrap it up, put a bow on it and go on your way. I'm sure you'll have a career in football doing something. It don't it really don't matter what he does pro. He will forever be a Georgia legend. I'm sure he's made tons of money in NIL deals. Yeah. Great story. Great story. Shitty cha- championship game. Great story, Stetson Bennett. I think I'm done talking about this game because every time I just start to think about how horrible it was, I just get angry again. So, end scene, end scene national title game. Next topic. (sighs) Coaching update. So, this time of year in the NFL. um, Hold on. Got to text my girlfriend back real quick. She said she's going to scream. 
It's usually not a good sign. So let me just check in. Anyway, um, okay. NFL breaking news, coaching updates. Not really breaking news by the time you're hearing this, but I just, you know, everything that happens, I have to throw my my sprinkle on it. Uh, so we'll talk. I'll talk first about Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury. This was obviously the correct move. This guy sucks. Okay. Um, I also did not realize that they had extended his his contract back in November. They ex- extended his contract through the 2027 season. Like, wh- what you doing? What you doing, bro? Okay. Like, the best coaches in the NFL don't get extensions for that long. Five years? Five years? Let alone this guy's mediocre. He hasn't proven anything. Nothing. He started off a season 8-0, and then after that 8-0 start, hardly made the playoffs, and then first-round exit, and then was just garbage. I mean, they extended him before this season, but that's not that to me doesn't prove anything. Not a five-year, maybe a two-year extension. Three, five years? You're, you, you, now you got to pay this man. Now you have to pay this man, and he's not going to be working for you anymore. I mean, the best, the best coaches don't even get extended this long. Um, I, I would assume this is a big reason why GM Steve Kime was also fire, fired. This was a horrible move. Horrible move. Kyler Murray came out multiple times, said there was lack of game plan, planning in certain areas, certain certain games. Uh, first off, fuck Kyler. He's he's no better. You're stuck with him, too. You're stuck with this idiot. To, what'd you sign him to? He was signed for a mega deal. I don't have it in front of me. I don't give a shit what his contract is. All I know is the Arizona Cardinals are stuck with this idiot. This season completely, completely melted down on the Cardinals. They had four seasons with Kingsbury. Uh, he's, he was 5-10 2019, 8-8 2020, 11-6 2021. That was that first-round exit year. And then 4-13. and 13. So hold on. You mean to tell me a coach that was 5-10, and 8-8, eight and, eight, and then first-round exit in the playoffs is the guy you extended for five years? And since that 8-0 start last season, they've gone 7-19. and Yikes. Okay? Again, not a GM. I don't even know these guys. These guys don't even know I exist. I'm literally sitting in my kitchen with my microphone ranting about how stupid I think they are. So, like, <laughs> whatever. I would hate... I mean... Uh, my my opinion's not relevant is what I'm getting to, but I'm going to share it anyway. What what were they thinking? What what were they thinking? Where do, so where do they go from here? Um, well, first off, they should have never signed Kyler to a mega deal. He had weapons around him all year. You got Hollywood Brown. You've got Zach Ertz. I know he got hurt. I get it. But for majority of the season, you had Ertz. You got D-Hop back after six week, weeks. I know your O-line sucked, but you're you're short and can run. So that shouldn't, whatever, you shouldn't suck. Um, he appears to be one of the worst guys to be able to work with, okay? He needs a head coach to take his Xbox, okay? Because I'm not going to go on this rant again because it pisses me off, but the dude is a baby, uh, so who, who, who comes here? I don't know. Sean Payton, every team wants him. 
Every team wants him. Uh, but I, I personally don't, I don't care where he goes as long as it's not the Cowboys. Because I like Sean Payton. I don't want to not like Sean Payton. And if he goes to the Cowboys, that will force my hand to not like Sean Payton. I don't know. Not my circus, not my monkeys. I do not give a shit about the Arizona Cardinals. I like Zach Ertz. That's about all I got. Have fun. Good luck to whoever goes there. That's a feels like a major rebuild. I wouldn't be surprised if Hollywood, D-Hop, if they all go elsewhere. Okay? J.J. Watt retires. I, love, I do like that guy. He's another guy on that team I like. But other than that, Nope. Gross. I don't... Sorry. Sorry if you're a fan of that team. Um, moving along. Houston Texans and Lovey Smith. I thought I was shocked by this one. It's... I think it's hard to judge a coach, a first-year coach, in such a horrible situation. He got three wins with literally no one except a decent rookie running back. Like, name another Houston Texan. Other than Davis Mills, but everyone knows who quarterbacks are. You literally can't name another decent Houston Texan. Brandon Cooks. I don't know. That's all I got. And not he got three wins, but he also played some teams tough. I mean, played the Cowboys tough, almost beat them. Played the Chiefs really tough. I, it almost felt like he got fired because he won the last game against the Colts. Um, and that cost them the first overall pick. That to me is what is what that feels like is like that was the ultimate, you know, straw that tipped the stack or whatever the hell that saying is. Because there are definitely way worse first year head coaches out there that haven't done shit with what they have either. Matt Eberflew of the Bears, he. Definitely had more talent. I mean, the Bears suck. They don't have a lot of talent, but they have more talent than the Texans. They have their, quote, quarterback, quote, Chase Claypool, Cole Komet, David Montgomery. You had what's-his-face, the defensive guy they traded to the Dolphins. You had him for most of the year. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. And you guys sucked worse than the Texans. You had less wins or ties. I think it was the, the tie was the straw that broke the camel's back. There we go. That's that saying. But to me, the Bears were worse. They didn't fire their coach. A, a worse, worsely coached, I should say, because they had more, more weapons than the Houston Texans and still didn't execute well. I don't know. I, on the flip side, I do sort of get it. Um, you, you, you know, you have to imagine that they're just going to go through like a complete rebuild and want to find a long-term guy. Sean Payton did interview there, but that, I mean, that's, that's a whole rebuild. I mean, top to bottom, you've got to rebuild that roster. I don't know. You know, everyone likes to point out the bad stats. I don't know what I'm saying. (laughs) Uh, I, I do also want to point out that um, this is a, very much so on just the stupidity of the Houston Texans because they put Lovey into that position, but Lovey really wasn't good before that. He was the defensive coordinator for the Houston Texans before transitioning into the head coaching position. 
So not this year, but last, the Texans, he was the Texans defensive coordinator, and the Texans finished last in the league in yards allowed, were also second to last in yards allowed the year before. So, Houston, riddle me this. Why did you hire a guy that was running a defense that was basically worst, maybe second worst in the league? He hasn't, he hasn't proven anything. So that, to me, that poor hire is on you. Why are you hiring that? You can't find anybody else that has a better track record to run your team? Why did you hire this guy in the first place? To fill the role because no one else wants to do it? I don't know. Anyway, moving along. Denver Broncos, they departed from Nathaniel Hackett a couple weeks ago now. But I do just want to talk about this because this seems like the biggest fail in NFL history. Is that, is that too bold? Is that, a, is that too bold to say? I don't think so. This was the worst melt. I don't even want to say it was a meltdown because last year the Broncos weren't good. This was like the highest preseason expectations, highest preseason ranking where everything just collapsed. I don't I don't quite know how this became this bad, but but it did. Um I think about it from a lot because it's talked about a lot in me in sports media right now because they were so bad. But like I just think to myself sometimes like fuck like it must suck to be in the Denver Broncos organization or a fan of them right now. They had all the pieces to be like some were even calling for them to be like in the Super Bowl back in August. And they, I don't even know what to, how to even begin to break down what happened. Getting rid of Hackett was the right move, right? Everything trickles from the top down. So if the, if the top is foul, that's all, that all trickles down to, to everybody. And at this point, they're married to Russ. They're stuck with Russ. They just paid him a ton of money. So they're kind of stuck with them. So I guess the other, you know, get rid of ha- I don't know. I don't know. Um, this was probably the worst coaching job of all time. Um, again, I was giving myself some laughs. I went back and was reading some of those preseason articles about the Broncos, like literally people predicting them to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, and Nathaniel Hackett comes from a team like the Green Bay Packers who also have an egotistical quarterback. He was able to run a successful offense with them. How come he couldn't do it with Russ? So there's the debate on who is more to blame, Hackett or Russ. I think good coaches are capable of creating effective offensive schemes no matter who their quarterback is. Look at Kyle Shanahan with Brock Purdy. Doug Peterson Super Bowl run with Nick Foles. P. 
Pete Carroll with Geno Smith this year. Good coaches figure it out. Nathaniel Hackett could not figure it out. Broncos country, let's ride. have fun on that ride because that's not one I want to be a part of, that's for sure. Other notable things that went down in the league. Looks like Derek Carr's time with the Raiders is over. Whatever. J.J. Watt plays his last game. Happy for him. Sad for the sport. I think he's a great guy. Jets offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur, who's actually the brother of Green Bay head coach Matt LaFleur, uh, is agreeing to mutually part ways with the Jets. Although, I don't think he was the problem. I think a blonde-haired bimbo that they drafted number two overall two years ago was the real problem. After last night, Tom Brady got his kick shit, his his kick shit, his shit kick in. That's the second time I've made that uh, mistake on this podcast. His shit kicked in last night. He's divorced now. I don't know if that impacts anything. I think you should just hang it up. But whatever. Um, but yeah, this this time of year is interesting because football's still going on, but also at any given moment there can be breaking news on a coaching update player update etc and yeah all right this leaves me with probably the most fun I'm gonna have on this podcast ever so I was sitting here and I was like all right how am I gonna break down the divisional round preview Lots of interesting matchups coming up. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something I've never done before. Okay. There are four games that are going to be played this weekend. Jaguars, Kansas City in Kansas City. Eagles, Giants in Philadelphia. Bengals, Bills in Buffalo. And then it'll conclude with the Cowboys on the road uh, to play the Niners in in Santa Clara. So here's how I'm not going to give you some crazy preview. I am going to play a game of Madden with all these teams and my takes on what's going to happen this weekend will be solely based on that game. Okay. I'm going to flip a coin to determine which team I'm going to be. Okay. And I also should, should point out that this is Madden 22. So this is last year's Madden. So like, Hey, Urban Meyer, still the coach of the Jags, okay? But this this is this is just what's going how it's going to go. I'm going to play on all Madden, play both sides of the ball, offense, defense, 6-minute quarters. And this is how I'm going to deliver you my divisional round preview, okay? Going to go in chronological order based on when the games are played. Let's do it. It's different, it's unique. It's going to give me the best takes one of the boys has ever seen. No, most unique takes. I don't know if it's going to be the best. Okay? But that's how it's going to go. All right? So I'm going to stop recording here in just a second. Oh, Harper's got something she ain't supposed to. I'm going to take care of that in a minute. But I'm going to go in chronological order. So the first game is going to be Chiefs-Jags. Let me get a coin to flip here real quick. Heads will be the away team. Tails will be the home team, okay? So Jags are the away team. Chiefs are the home team. I'm flipping the coin. Heads. All right, so I am going to be the Jaguars, 
Jaguars round one. Okay. Um, stay tuned. Stay tuned, everybody. I'll be right back. All right, boom, just like that, I am back. Oh, holy shit, this, this is going to be a close game, okay? The final score on my fake Madden game, where most of my takes are coming from, uh, was Chiefs 28, Jags 24, okay? This is, this is actually, I know on paper they have Patrick Mahomes uh, and the Chiefs being significantly, uh, significant favorites in this one. I think it's about eight and a half points they're giving the Chiefs understandably so they're the chiefs but i i truly truly believe um that the jacksonville jaguars will put up a hell of a fight i think this is going to be a great game the key the key is going to be for the jaguars to keep the ball out of patrick mahomes hands okay you have to game plan like he's going to score every single time he touches the ball the less time he spends on the field, the better. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, those guys are capable of putting together multiple, long, sustainable drives. The longer Trevor Lawrence stays on the field, the better chance that the Jacksonville Jaguars have to win this game. Another thing, on the flip side of the ball, when you're thinking of defensive planning... I know you can't really plan for these things. Your plan is just to stop the quarterback, stop the running back, stop the receivers, et cetera. If you can get the Chiefs to turn the ball over one time, get Patrick Mahomes to throw an interception, maybe strip it from one of their young running backs, they will win this game. They need one turnover in their favor. They need Trevor Lawrence to stay out on the field for a long time. And Doug Peterson, Doug Peterson is a really, really, really great coach I think he could he's gonna come into this game with an excellent game plan it's gonna come down to the wire the other thing too is especially when they're getting towards the end of the game is just clock management clock management is gonna be huge because Patrick Mahomes proved last year he only needs 13 seconds to flip the script really quick and I wouldn't be surprised if he does the same thing here okay it's almost useless to plan to, to plan to get pressure onto Patrick Mahomes because he gets the ball out of his hands so damn fast and he can read a defense so damn fast that it's silly. The Jags do the Jags defense this year versus last year is like night and day. So I actually do think their secondary matches up with their receivers pretty well. They've got some good linebackers, the other Josh Allen, they've got Trayvon Walker coming off the edge. They're probably not going to get to Mahomes, but if they can rattle him, make him a little bit uncomfortable, it, it, that could lead to one of these said turnovers that I said that they need. But, but seriously, bottom line, Doug Peterson has to go into this game with a game plan of keeping the ball away from Patrick Mahomes as much as possible. So Trevor Lawrence can't be throwing four interception games. You can't do that against the Chiefs. That's not going to work. They're going to have to use Travis Etienne. They're going to have to feed him 
feed him 20 to 25 times, he gets 100-plus yards, they will win. Travis Etienne is going to be the key to this game because it's all going to be about time management and keeping Patrick Mahomes' ass on on the sideline. Okay? But I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be really, really, really close. I think these are two actually really good teams, really well-coached teams. The the Jags are young. They're fiery. They weren't supposed to be here. They're going to come out guns a-blazing, guns a-blazing. If they can can jumpstart and get out to an early lead, make Patrick Mahomes make a few mistakes, they've got this. I really believe so. Anyway, that concludes the first one. This is actually so much fun for me. For my listeners out there, this is a hobby, so I don't, um, you know, I don't ever, I'm not ever expecting to make any type of monetary value off of this. I have fun doing this. Today I have, uh, today I'm having more fun than I ever had on this podcast, so I'm glad you're along with this journey for me. Let's get rolling into the next game, Eagles-Giants. I don't think I have it in me to not be the Eagles. I'm not flipping a coin. I'm just going to play as the Eagles. I promise for every other game I will flip a coin, even for the Cowboys. Yes, if the coin tells me, I will play as the Dallas Cowboys. But for this one, I'm going to be the Eagles. I'm going to hit pause now. Be back soon. My goodness. Okay. You know, Madden 22 did Jalen Hurts dirty. His accuracy is absolute poop but modern day real life 2023 Jalen Hurts I I don't think he has a problem moving the ball against this offense or excuse me against the Giants defense excuse me I'm burping um especially with weapons like Dallas Goddard AJ Brown Devontae Smith I don't I don't need to name the whole roster but I I don't think the secondary really can match up with 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 the Eagles weapons I also they're the Giants defense strongest suit right now is their defensive line and our probably strongest suit on our entire team is our offensive line so that will be a fun matchup probably the most challenging matchup across the board for the Eagles but I think we get Lane Johnson back You got Jason Kelsey. Again, I don't need to name the whole line. I think they give Jalen Hurts the time he needs to. Jalen's game plan is going to look very different than it did two weeks ago because this is playoff football. So he's not, he's not wussing out just to squeak by and lock in the first seat. He's, he's playing to win. His legs are going to come back into play. I just think there's too many things on the offensive side of the ball for the Eagles that are weapons for the, for the or night, nightmare options for the Giants. And then on the flip side, Saquon Barkley is very good. That's going to be the biggest struggle on defense for the Eagles is just finding a way to match up with, with him and get him to the ground. If they can limit him, if they can get to Daniel Jones, then this game is what it is on paper where the Eagles are just significantly better. I do worry a little bit about them being outcoached because Brian Dayball has been phenomenal not just here, but in his past time with, with the Bills, and I don't need to give you his whole resume. Um, so my Harper's barking again. I don't know why. So for them to win this, they really need to come out with a great offensive plan. But I think the Eagles, sec, uh, Eagles front seven gets to Daniel Jones. They rattle him a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if we see like five or six sacks in this game. 
Um, and then the secondary is just there's no one that Daniel Jones is really throwing the ball to, so I don't think the secondary has a hard time matching up against these guys. Um, it's in Philly. That's always a huge advantage, although it's really not that far for Giants fans to head down to the Meadowlands. But I think I think this is, and this isn't just me saying this because I'm an Eagles fan, because the Giants do scare me. I think their game planning all year has been so good that no one in their right mind ever anticipated this. They definitely scare me. But I do think if the Eagles can just execute the way that they have been for a majority of the season and just be the better team that they are, that they will come out on top. Um, but man, 22 y'all did Jalen hurts dirt. I mean, this dude, he's fast. He can get out of the pocket. He can step up in the pocket when he throws the ball. I mean, he's sailing balls on Devonte Adams. Devonte Adams was wide open coming in, coming on an in route. And I just, you know, you tap the ball to do like the touch pass and this dude straight throws it behind Devontae Smith to the defender. Real-life modern-day Jalen Hurts does not do that. By the way, the final score of my Madden game was 13-3 Giants. Um, getting to, We picked off Jalen or Daniel Jones twice, but Jalen Hurts just literally couldn't hit a receiver for his life. I think his overall Madden 22 was like a 72, and he plays like it. Anyway, not relevant. Real-life Jalen is good. Next game up. Bengals, Bills. Ooh, let's see. Let's flip our coin. Flip the coin. So, again, heads is the away team, which is the Bengals. Tails is the home team, which is the Bills. Let's see. It is tails. So, I will be the Buffalo Bills in this game. See y'all soon. All right, that that is going to be a great game. I'm going to, first off recommend to all my listeners to bet the over. I think there's actually going to be a lot of points. I could see like a 28-35 final score. I also think the Bills are going to win. I don't know what the spread is. I'm not worried about it. I think one, the defense of the Buffalo Bills is beat up. They've lost guys to injuries. They've got some guys that are hurt. If they can get through this offensive line, which isn't great, hasn't been great all year, they will win. If they get to Joe Burrow, they will win. They should have no problem getting through the offensive line. So on the flip side, Burrow, Zach Taylor, and the offense, they need to game plan to get the ball out of his hands quick. No, there's going to be very few deep shots, deep opportunities, unless you bring in some extra tight ends for some blocking. But then I think you kind of expose what, what your plan is. If they get through the offensive line, if they get to Burrow, Buffalo Bills win this game. I think Josh Allen and, and the uh, Buffalo Bills offense is just way too explosive. They're hard to stop. No one's really been able to stop them, even on games where Josh Allen's throwing, you know, two, three interceptions. They're still putting up massive amounts of points. That, with that being said, that ultimately could be the saving grace for the Buffalo or for the Bengals if Allen throws one, two picks and they're able to take advantage of that. Um, then that's that to me would be, you know, advantage Bengals and. Josh, he has thrown that. He's, you know, second or third on the list in interceptions this season. But naturally, that just comes with an offense that throws that often. So I think I think a couple things, lots of points. 
ultimately it's going to come down to how well the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line plays. If the Bills get through, it's going to be a long day for the Bengals. It's going to be a long day for Joe Burrow. If not, I do think the Bengals could come out on top. I actually, I actually think that this offensive line isn't being talked about enough. Um, and I just think that the injuries that this team is suffering on both sides of the ball isn't being talked out, talked about enough. The, these things had huge implications on the game against the Ravens. If you ask me, the Bengals actually really shouldn't be here. I, I actually think the Ravens were the better team last week, but one play really flipped the script and kind of got momentum swinging into, into the Bengals' favor. Those kinds of things probably aren't going to happen against the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. Like I said, he might throw a pick or so, but their offensive game planning is way different. You're going against Josh Allen, not Tyler Huntley. It's just, it's just very different. Bottom line, my take on this game, Bengals' offensive line is going to be the most important position on the field for that team. If the Bills can get through, that's it. It's over. And if Josh Allen can secure the ball, take care of the ball, not throw any picks, it's also over. Bengals could get a lucky break if he throws one, but they'd have to take advantage of it. It's it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be loud. It's going to be a tough atmosphere for the Bengals to come in and play. Ah, oh, fuck. I love football so much. This is going to be – it's going to be – I can't wait. I can't wait. All right, one more. One last game. Let's flip this damn coin. Heads, Cowboys, Tails, Niners. And it's Tails. Thank God, because I really, really did not want to have to be the Dallas Cowboys. All right, here we go. Oh, man. Oh, man, that was a fun one. Um, God. The Niners' defense is really good, really good. They're coached well. They have a lot of really good players. There's a lot of different things, different ways to look at this game. Dak just came off probably the best game of his life against against the Bucks. okay? The Bucks aren't that good. Everyone's high on Dak because, because of this. Like, look. The Bucks are not that good. The 49ers are a different beast. They're well coached. They have a great defensive coordinator. They have a great head coach. Their talent on both sides of the ball is just leaps, to me, leaps and bounds above the Cowboys. Their coaching is leaps and bounds above the Cowboys. Game plan flat out for the Niners should be get through the line, get to Dak, get to Dak, get to Dak. When Dak gets flustered, he sucks. He is terrible, okay? Let's think about this. He was tied for the league lead in interceptions, and he missed five games. Why is that? A couple different things. One, he's making bad decisions, making a couple poor throws. But mostly, I believe it's once people start to get through the line, once they start to get to him, they rattle him. He's very easily rattled. And once he's rattled, he's horrible. Horrible. It's not even disguised. It's like you hit Dak once, twice, three times, and that's it. He's, he's not himself. 
He's jumpy in, in the pocket. You can see it. He even almost has this like look on his face of absolute panic. He's not good. Key to this game is the Niners getting to Dak. If the Niners let Dak get in a rhythm like he did the other night, it could be a long night for them. On the flip side, I think Kyle Shanahan is just going to completely outsmart the, uh, the Cowboys defense. And I just, I just think he is just leaps and bounds a better coach than Mike McCarthy. And I think his, his offensive game plan is going to be something that the Cowboys defense has yet to see this year and completely throw them off their game. That's just my prediction. That's just my takes. That's just my preview going into this game. I hate the Cowboys, so I'm just cleverly thinking about how the Niners are best going to game plan to screw up the Cowboys because that's ultimately what I want. However, I wouldn't mind a Niners, or excuse me, a Cowboys-Eagles NFC Championship game and then the Eagles be the one to punch them out. I'm getting ahead of myself. Niners get to Dak. Kyle Shanahan's offensive game plan confuses the shit out of the Cowboys' defense, and that's how the Niners win this game. That's all there is to it. Look, I'm not a football coach. I'm not a rocket scientist. I've never played a day of football in my life. I know because I watch. I know because I read. Hey, NFL GMs out there, if all of these happen, okay, take your receipts, listen to what I said. If every single one of these things happens... I, I think you, you owe me a contract, okay? Because I know all you GMs out there are listening to one of the boys' podcasts, okay? Sign me a contract. Sign me a contract. You won't regret it. All right. Well, that was fun. Probably this has taken me the longest it's ever been to record this podcast, so I'm clearly having a blast. I'm actually going to close out with Sad Girl Hours today, and short and sweet, Sad Girl Hours today is all of us, and here's why. We have... Three more, three and a half, if you count the Pro Bowl, weekends of football. We have a total of seven games left. College is done. NFL, we're getting into the meat and potatoes of the playoffs. It's almost done. Everything we craved beginning last, what, April? That's really when you start to get, that's when I start to itch for football, is about to end again. And I'm sad. I'm fucking sad. This is literally what I dedicate my time to do on weekends is watch football, tweet about football, text about football, play fantasy football, bet some money on football. And I literally found myself the other day laying there and I was like, How, what the hell am I going to do once the season's over? It's devastating. It's devastating. So all of us are sad girls. Anyone who's a football fan, sad girl hours. This isn't just like, this is extreme sad girl hours. Like I'm feeling some, some type of way, but it's also, it's very bittersweet though, because it's like these games coming up are going to be so exciting. And then also like, you know, the end is near and I just, I wish like there was a way to extend the length of the game because when the game's on, I'm like, I don't want it to end. I'm having so much fun watching. Like when I turn on a game because like late because I'm working or something and I'm like, shit, the first quarter's already over. Like I feel sad that I missed the first quarter. So if NFL 
if you could find a way to extend games, I, I mean, it would get you more ads. It would get us more football time. I'm sure the players would hate it. But I wouldn't be a sad girl right now because I know there would be more football to watch. Anyway, that was probably the most ridiculous rant I've ever gone on for the internet to hear. Sad girl hours, all of us, all of us football fans. Yeah, dark times. Dark days are ahead. <sighs> anyway, that will wrap up today's show. I started playing Madden and recording at 4.30, and it is now 8.30 p.m. I'm going to get this content out to y'all ASAP Rocky. I hope everyone has a fantastic week, watches great football, eats good food, has a beverage or two, and, and just enjoy yourself. Enjoy what's left of the season. It's been a fun one, so let's let's hopefully close close the year out on a high note. I am Coley Rudd, here with Harper the Big Girl. I appreciate you listening to One of the Boys, and hope you turn in next week. Cheers. <laughs>